0: In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Early in my life as a priest, a parishioner came into my office with a question about the gospel passage that we've just heard this morning. He was seriously troubled by it, by the idea that we would confront each other, that we would name our wounds and the ways that we have hurt each other that we would choose to engage willingly in conflict, even if at the end that conflict was aimed at reconciliation. Shouldn't we all just get along? Isn't it better if we just put our feelings aside for the sake of unity and sort of sweep things under the rug for the sake of togetherness? I should confess that usually um, when we talk about conflict in the church, at least in clergy circles, someone eventually gets a wry grin on their face and says, conflict in church? No, we never have conflict in church. And then everyone laughs because we know that there is and there always have been conflicts in church. Differences of opinion, differences of expectation, different hopes about the future, different politics, different dreams, different ideas about what it means to be faithful. And we know that's true on many levels, not just on a congregational level, but also within a denomination and within the broad spectrum of Christianity. And Jesus is preparing us for that here in this text. Several thousand years ago, before the church even really existed, Jesus already knew that there would be conflict, because that's our human nature, especially when we care deeply about something, when it's something as important as our faith, our hope, our life. The life of the early church bears this out and shows it to be true. If you read really any section of the book of Acts, you will find that there were many, many disagreements about the way forward and about how the young fledgling church would live and grow and whether or not it would survive. Some of our favorite people, Peter and Paul and James, the brother of Jesus, figure prominently in these debates. They don't just have minor disagreements between themselves. They have big public arguments that have now been documented for several thousand years and they argue over life and death decisions, over the direction and the future of the church, over who is saved and who isn't, over what Jesus's life and death really means and how we are supposed to follow him. And What really in the end could be more important than that? What could carry with it so much pressure and so much importance, more than the life and safety and salvation of the whole world? of God's people. Truthfully, it makes some of the things that we disagree about seem very, very small and insignificant. And what we see in these conflicts and in these very public debates that have now been saved for posterity is the willingness of the disciples and the apostles to stay in relationship, their desire to work through it together, even when they disagree on big, important things. They continue to try to tell each other the truth and to look for God together. And because they stay in it, because they do the hard work, because they hold on to the core of their faith and what they know to be true, choosing God and choosing each other, that little fledgling church grows and grows and grows. The story of the church shows us that conflict isn't always bad. It's part of our discernment. It's part of the unrolling of our life together. And it's honest to acknowledge that we won't always agree, even when we all have the best of intentions. And that's okay. Because what we see over and over again in the life of the church is that ultimately, no matter what, and sometimes despite our best efforts, the Spirit still finds a way to lead us forward. In fact, just a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that God always finds a way, makes a way, even when it doesn't look like there's one to be found. God's will, God's vision, always finds a way. And that way is love. In the first paragraph of the epistle, the Apostle Paul talks about the law. And he names some of the core pieces of the law given to the people of Israel and passed down to us. These are things we know. We call them the Ten Commandments, and they include things we hear this morning, like you shall not steal, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. We're familiar, at least, with these Ten Commandments. But that certainly wasn't the whole of the law. The 10 commandments were only a part of the law, only a part of the covenant that God shared with Israel. The law by which Israel lived was much longer and much more complicated. And in many ways, it takes up a significant portion of Hebrew scriptures. All of it, however, aimed at structuring life in such a way that everyone was able to live in peace. All of it aimed at making sure that the people of God, the tribe of Israel would survive, would grow and thrive so that everyone would have what they need and so that conflicts and disputes could be settled. The law made it possible for everyone to know what to expect and how to live. So think for a minute about a modern list of commandments and what that might look like. About a modern interpretation of the law, what would that look like if we tried to codify it now? What commandments would you include that would help us live and work together better? It could actually be a very long list of commandments, couldn't it? Because truthfully, we could add to that list anything that hurts us, hurts someone else, or takes us away from God's good desire for us. We could have commandments about prejudice and racism, about wearing masks now to keep others safe, (coughs) about sharing resources. We could have commandments that say you shall not take more for yourself than you need because then you leave lust for others. You shall not put your needs ahead of your neighbors. Really, the list could go on forever. But what Jesus shows us in his life and on the cross, and what Paul summarizes in this passage, is that we don't actually need that list. We could make it. We could spill a lot of ink and fill a lot of pages, trying to codify how we should live and work together. But we don't need to, because all of it is summed up in one word, in one idea, in one verb. Love is the law. Love is the whole of the law. If we love, then we don't want to break the commandments that break us and break the hearts of the people we love. If we love, we don't wanna do anything that will hurt our neighbors. If we love, we learn to put their needs ahead of our own. If we love, we want to live in good and right relationship with God and with each other. If we love, then we want to keep our baptismal covenant, to respect the dignity of every human being, to seek justice and love mercy. If we love, then all of those individual commandments aren't necessary, because love leads us down a road where we want to live out all those things anyway. There's one more thing about the gospel that's important this morning. We have to sort of turn it around and look at it with a sense of Paul's love. And if we do that, all of a sudden, it isn't just about conflict and trying to solve it, trying to tell someone else about what they've done, or getting what we think we need from them. (coughs) If we imagine ourselves not in the place of the one who goes seeking justice, but of the one who receives all these visits, the receiver of these conversations, all of a sudden, the passage changes. And it's really about forgiveness and the bonds of community and how much God and others will do to forgive us, to give us a new chance, many chances, actually, to hold us in the heart of community even when we have fallen short. The process that Jesus lays out depends on forgiveness, and on the idea that we should try again and again to be in good and healthy relationship, that we should actually forgive again and again, to recognize that sometimes it will be us who needs to be forgiven again and again. And this, too, is about love. Love that refuses to let things go. Love that hauls conflict out into the light. Love that persists and forgives and forgives and forgives again. So the invitation of this text this morning is to see ourselves and to come to know ourselves, if we don't already, as creatures who need to be forgiven. As the one who will sometimes have others come to us and say that we are at fault. And this isn't about shame or blame or feeling badly about ourselves. It's about the gift of grace. Because even when we work very hard at it, even when we are committed to living by the law of love, we are bound to find ourselves in conflict and we are bound to make mistakes. And when that happens, we need to already see ourselves as creatures who both give and receive forgiveness. As creatures who need to do that and practice that in community because it's part of who God calls us to be. Because even when there is conflict over the most important things, even when we don't like something, or we haven't had our expectations met or we feel misunderstood, we have to stay in it. The passage ends with the promise that when we find our way through the conflict, when we stay in it, when we give ourselves over to not just being individuals, but to belonging, belonging to God and to each other, then together, We are capable of remarkable things, that Jesus will be among us and help us to do things we didn't think were possible, and that is a pretty great promise, and we see that it's true. It is borne out in the story and the life of the church. When Peter and Paul and James and the other apostles found their way through conflict to the work that God was calling them to, not by ignoring it, but by choosing to continue to step passionately toward each other, their work— together, and with God, changed the world. They healed people. They saved people. They welcomed people. They loved people. And this is true for all of us when we do the same thing. It will be true for us in whatever form the church is, however we experience it, whether it's in person or virtual, big or small, poor or wealthy. When we find our way together, when we walk passionately toward each other, when we put the needs of the body ahead of our own, when we learn to see ourselves as part of a whole instead of as individuals, when we hold on to what really matters, to the core that makes us who we are, when we start to find our way to whatever God's will is, when love is the law that governs our decisions, then then we will change the world and be the church, and Jesus will be among us. Amen.